Welcome to the Wild Heart Meditation Center podcast. It is our intention to continue offering these audio recordings free of charge. However, if you would like to donate to support our cause and keeping our facility open in Nashville, you can do so via the Venmo app by sending a donation to at Wild Heart Nashville, or you can find us online at our website, wildheartmeditationcenter.org, and click the Donate tab. We hope to see you soon, and enjoy. What I would like to talk about is how suffering is mind-made. So suffering is mind-made, I'm referencing a verse in the Dhammapada, the first verse in the Dhammapada. I don't know how many of you have read the Dhammapada. The Dhammapada is a collection of like one-liners from the Pali Canon that the Buddha gave. And um, the first verse, it's, it's like verse, it's like over 400 verses of just these one-liners to, to think about and carry around day to day. Like I said earlier, hatred is not a piece through hatred. Hatred is a piece through love. That's the fifth verse of the Dhammapada. So it's nice to have these little one-liners to reflect on and approach life with. So the first verse of the Dhammapada, I'm going to read to you, and then I'll unpack it a little bit, and I'll bring it back later to actually discuss it a little bit. So the first verse goes, All Dhammas are preceded by the mind. They are governed by the mind and formed by the mind. If one speaks or acts with an impure mind, suffering follows therefrom, just as the wheel of a cart follows the ox that pulls it. So to put this in context of what we're doing here, um, that suffering is mind-made. And so in Buddhist practices, like I said, practices, Buddhism is not so much about what you believe. It's more about what you do. So this is a practice of developing the mind. And so we develop the mind to eliminate suffering. And so that the Buddha really only taught suffering and the end of suffering. Isn't that nice? That there's an end of suffering. So, uh, as Buddhists, like, what do you have faith in? Well, faith in the end of suffering. And to think that that's a possibility uh, is quite wonderful. And sometimes we may be creating a long shot and a long goal, but even suffering less. You must have some faith in that, that you can suffer less that you're willing to sit still for 30 minutes, you're willing to come out on a Sunday night and hear some dharma or practice a little bit. So you must have some faith that this is going to help you suffer less. And um, that word suffering may, may be a loaded word too. And, and I do want to clarify what I mean by suffering. And this is outlined in the core teachings of the Buddha on what we practice as a development of the mind because suffering is of the mind. Suffering is mind-made. So, these four noble truths that we have. First truth, there's suffering. Second truth, there's a cause of suffering. Third truth, there's an end of suffering. Fourth truth is how. The path we walk to eliminate suffering. So there's a lot of suffering involved in this. I I love this this suffering, suffering, suffering. I'm a doom and gloom type of person. 
but uh, don't let uh, the messenger get in the way of the message. But I will talk about suffering a lot, and I think that's the like the attractive quality of Buddhism to me. Because, like, uh, you know, I was a bitter punk rocker. I thought the world was full of shit, and then and then I come to Buddhism, and they're like, yeah, yeah, life is suffering. And I'm like, oh, thank you. I, I thought I thought I was right about this. I thought I was right, and you you verified me very well. So. Uh, not to stay on the doom and gloom, but to to go to the other end that there's faith in the ending of suffering. I, I didn't know that before getting into this practice. Wow, I can not suffer. And this is the teaching of Nibbana. Nibbana, or uh, more popularly the Sanskrit Nirvana, um, is the cooling off. So it's this cooling off of reactivity. Sometimes Nibbana, in the time of the Buddha, that, that word Nibbana was like an everyday term. Now it sounds a little strange, but uh, it, it, Nibbana was a cooking term. So it's the idea of taking a boiling pot away from its heat source so it cools off. So that's really what we're trying to do, take the boiling pot off the heat source inside of our mind. And so... Um, love that yes, peace and love, peace and love, thank you. So uh, we, we have faith in this end of suffering. Uh, I don't know if I had it before. Sometimes I, I would think if I lived a certain way or if I did uh, life properly, maybe I can end suffering. If I had uh, all my ducks in a row, had the perfect job, if only I had this, then I wouldn't suffer. If only I had this in my life, then I wouldn't suffer. And that's like the, the everyday uh, usual way to end suffering. And then there's also other spiritualities that look at an end of suffering, like Christianity. What do Christians do to end suffering? Well, they die and go to heaven and be with God. Okay, so at least they have some hope for end of suffering. But Buddhism, we're, we're trying to do it right here and now. What's in front of us? How can we end suffering right here and now? And so to define suffering, I want to talk about it in two different ways. Uh, what's suffering? The simple one, the ordinary suffering. Uh, when you get what you don't want. That's pretty ordinary. That's generally what we're suffering over. Uh, we define this as birth, aging, sickness, death, sorrow, lamentation, grief, being around people you don't like that much, being separated from people you love, um, all the physical and the emotional pain is generally what we consider to be suffering. So in, in the ordinary way to end suffering, we do our best to avoid this. Unfortunately, it doesn't work. You love somebody. It's sad when they die. It is. The more you avoid sadness, you're going to suffer. The more you avoid the death, you're going to suffer. Somebody you like goes away. We can't avoid these things. Somebody you don't like comes around every once in a while. <laughs> you can't avoid these things. So this is what we call ordinary suffering, that these things that are naturally going to happen unavoidable. And typically we think, oh, if I can avoid this, then I'll be happy. But on the other side of the same coin, we have the suffering of uh, when you get what you want. What? When you get what you want, you suffer? Like in Buddhism, you can't even get what you want. <laughs> well, you get what you want, you still suffer. And why is that? What is it? It doesn't last 
Oh, okay, there you go. Well, ding, 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 we have a winner. It doesn't last. It doesn't last. So we get what we want and we're like, oh, I'm so happy. And then it goes away and then I'm miserable. And so this is the trick we play. Um, it's, uh, you know, when you get what you don't want, you suffer. When you get what you want, you suffer. And so this is the game of happiness that I get what I want. I'm happy. And I get what I don't want. I'm sad. I get what I, I want. I'm happy. And then I, then I get what I don't want. I'm suffering. And then it's just like this whirlwind of just constantly up and down, up and down, up and down. And it just, it's fucking exhausting. Just like getting what I want, not getting what I want, getting what I want, getting what I not want. And it never ends. And so we want to find a balance in the middle of all of this. So where I say, okay, this is what suffering is. It's not necessarily what suffering is. It's typically what we suffer over. And so there's a fun story I've been telling a few people about. It's like this old school Taoist story about the old man. There's an old man and he has a horse and the horse runs away. And the neighbor goes to the old man and goes, oh, I'm sorry about your horse uh, that, that ran, ran away. And the old man says, well, who knows what's good or bad? And then the horse comes back with 12 other horses. And the neighbor's like, oh, man, that's awesome. You now have 12 horses. And the old man says, who knows what's good or bad? And then the old man's son was riding the horse and fell off and broke his leg. And the neighbor's like, oh, man, sorry to hear about your, your son breaking his leg. And the old man goes, who knows what's good or bad? And then the army comes to recruit young men and come to the, the guy, and he has a broken leg, so they couldn't recruit him. And, you know. and then it goes on and on and on. Getting things we want, getting things we don't want. Who knows what's good or bad? So if we're going to know uh, what suffering is, we need to know what causes suffering. And this will help us figure out where should we should go. What really causes suffering? And really, it's, it's the fight. The fight of dukkha. The fight, the, the clinging, the reactivity, needing things to be a certain way. It's all internalized. We may go, this is the reason. That asshole is the reason. I'm pointing. I didn't want to single somebody out. <laughs> that asshole is the reason I'm suffering. And really, it's, it's your mind is why you're suffering. Uh, we want to point out at the external as the reason, but it's all on, it's all on you. Good news and bad news, it's all on you. We, oh, I'm the reason I blame me for suffering? Yeah, yeah, you are the reason you're suffering. Yesterday, I went out and had a lovely day with my wife, and, and we went out thrift store shopping, and and I guess I wasn't in the mood to move that quickly. So I was in my car and we were at a red light, light turned green. Okay, I'm going. And apparently the person behind me didn't think I was going fast enough and honked his horn at me. And so there's the reason I'm suffering. That asshole honked his horn at me. And I could create a whole case about like, yeah, I'm moving. The car's in front of me. I, you know, 
You don't think I'm going fast enough. I'm going as fast as I can. I'm trying to have a good day with my wife, and you're trying to ruin it for me, and this and that. And then, like, who knows what he's thinking? He's probably like, oh, this asshole's making me late. He's taking his time, la-di-da, and all that. But really, it is just coming back to somebody's honking the horn. And I've literally said that, like, oh, he's allowed to honk his horn. He has every right to honk his horn. I have every right to not suffer over it. It's something as simple as that. This is the practice that we want to note that it's our, you know, all in our mind. And how we take care of our mind is really whether we suffer or not. Not so much of how the world works. So there's a certain amount of acceptance around this, this truth of dukkha, this truth of suffering. There will be unsatisfactoriness to it. There will be pleasure to it. It's how, uh, or what our relationship is to the pleasure and the pain that gets us into suffering or not. So really, to be clear on what uh, the Buddha called, and I heard it over here, the cause of suffering, and it's this, this craving which is repetitive. So this gets us to the point of karma where karma is a Sanskrit word for action. And when we talk about action, we're talking about body, speech, and mind. And why we want to look at the actions of the, the body and speech, it's because of the development of the mind. Why we look at Buddhist ethics, it's because we are trying to develop our mind. So if you act in harmful ways, it will show up in your mind. We're wonderful pro-social creatures. We live together in communities. We have mirror neurons and we work together. And that's our basic human survival, working together as communities. We can't necessarily hunt that well. We can't dig holes very well. We can't fly. What we do is we get together and we build things. We solve problems together. And so uh, whenever we hurt the group, it shows up in our mind. Oh, I hurt the group because that's hurting our survival. So we're, it's pretty cool that we're inherently uh, meant to take care of each other. So when we act out in harm, in harmful ways, it shows up in the mind. And so this is what the Buddha was pointing at. Saying, oh, if you act in harmful ways of body, it will hurt your mind. If, if you uh, act in harmful ways of your speech, if you're mean, rude, um, lie, deceive people with your speech, it will show up in your mind because we're naturally uh, leaning on each other. We're naturally interdependent on each other. And so uh, that's a, just a wonderful reflection about when you feel bad about doing something harmful, good. You know, there's these, these uh, qualities called hiri and otapa, remorse and guilt that we look at as Buddhists. Hiri and otapa. So when you commit to a harmful action, you go, eh, I kind of feel really bad about this. That's a wonderful thing because that's guiding your ethics. And so... Uh, while I get on this tangent of karma, so karma, it is that whatever one frequently thinks about, ponders upon, will become the inclination of the mind. And so this will be when hatred arises in the mind. Maybe it's due to you thinking hateful thoughts for, well, I don't know, for anything like me, your whole fucking life. And then, poof, there's hatred. And then, okay, now I need to work on kindness. I gotta, I gotta make up some lost time and start bringing about kindness. And so we have two minds, according to Buddha. We have the volitional and the non-volitional. The volitional mind is the one that we purposely think of things. Right now, if you purposely think of 
Let's, let's go with kindness. Oh, the last time somebody was kind to you. If you purposely think about that, there it is in the mind. But non-volitional is this, just stuff that just shows up all on its own. The mind thinks things all on their, its own. And that's due to you being used to thinking those things. And so there are methods of course cultivation and true cultivation. Course cultivation is when you actually have to, you have to read these things, you have to recite these things, you have to say them over and over again. But true cultivation is when it just shows up automatically. So over time, a lot of this will show up automatically. You go to enough talks, you hear enough about the Four Noble Truths, it becomes the view you see the world in. And so over time, it'll just become natural. And so this is the karma we want to lean in towards, towards the mind. Because it is repetitive. If we crave for things to be different than they actually are, my sense of well-being is reliant on things being different than they actually are, that is the repetition we will have. And that's why we get in trouble with craving. We have to end that rep repetition. So, and there's a certain sense where karma may be this ambiguous word and the word that's used in this way and that way in the world. Uh, but I think we believe it as a culture. That we believe if you commit something, there is an outcome. So like I said, we, we come together and we build things. We build uh, a big building. And we had to commit to actions because we knew the outcome was going to be this building. We built, so we built a clock. And they had a way to build the clock. And they put it all together because they knew the outcome was going to be the clock. And, and a lot of this stuff takes a lot of work. You think how, like phones. How many phones there are probably in this room and how many phones there are in this country and in the world. And then we have these very precise machines that do these very precise things and that have to precisely be made because we know the outcome is going to be a phone and we know that we're going to use this phone for certain uh, things. And so this is just what happiness is. We have to precisely build our happiness. If it's made in the mind, that's how we build our happiness, precisely. By seeing what we fall for and suffer over, and by seeing where happiness really is. True, genuine happiness. Not a fleeting happiness. And fleeting happiness is nice, but this unconditional happiness. This, this unconditional well-being that isn't reliant on things going my way or not going my way. Being comfortable or uncomfortable. It's just this, this way, way of being that isn't shaken by life as life arises. And so that takes work. And so we know how to mass produce phones and clocks and buildings. We could, should take the time to go for what may be a little bit more important is our own happiness. And it just takes a, a, a very precise building in the mind. Taking time for the non-reactivity in the mind as things arise and taking time to cultivate. Cultivate the kindness, compassion, appreciative joy, and equanimity. Taking time to put the effort in those directions. So let me go back. Let me go back to uh, this verse. This verse of the Dhammapada. All Dhammas are preceded by the mind. They are governed by the mind and formed by the mind. If one speaks or acts with an immature mind... Suffering follows therefrom, just as a wheel of the cart follows the ox that pulls it. So looking at this first line, all dhammas are preceded by the mind. Uh, all dhammas are preceded by the mind. Dhammas really here means everything. All phenomena and all things, everything is preceded by the mind. 
They are governed by the mind and formed by the mind. And so while this may sound like a woo-woo concept that I'm manifesting something, uh, not necessarily. If we, uh, if we bring hatred to the world, we're going to see hatred in a lot of places. Um, when somebody honks the horn at me, it's preceded by the mind on how I'm going to react to that. If my mind is full of hate, somebody honks their horn at me, I'm going to bring hate into this world. If, uh, if somebody comes up right now and hits me, and I, and I feel like they, just because they hit me, therefore I'm suffering over it, I'm going to become reactive and hit them back. And this is how the world works. You hit me, I'm going to hit you back. You hit me, I'm going to hit you back. You hit me, I'm going to hit you back. And then we're on this repetitive cycle of, of reactivity. And we're lost in it. So we have to end the cycle by stopping and going, oh, my well-being is inside of here. I'm not saying don't hang out with people that hit you. Has set boundaries. Don't do any of that nonsense. But set boundaries to see that the conditions of the world, favor or unfavorable, it's all preceded by the mind. So... Why would kindness be a good way to perceive the world? Because kindness is not like I'm happy, so therefore I see things happy. It's I'm kind, therefore I see the world the way it is. I see things as they actually are. And this gets us deep-rooted into insight of the world. So we can be kind regardless of things are pleasant or unpleasant, and we can see things as they actually are. We can see that that death happens in life. We can see that aging happens in life. We can see that uh, turmoil happens in life. And we can be kind to that. So kindness cuts through a lot of delusion. So if we, we go, oh, th- that sounds so bleak. I don't want to see that. I'm, why not just cheer up? And we act cheerful. A lot of times being cheerful is just a subtle form of hatred. Like, ah, oh, that's unpleasant. Cheer up, pal. And it's just like, no, we're just being hateful to the unpleasant qualities of life. Kindness creates room for unpleasantness in life, as well as pleasantness in life. And therefore, that's the mind we want to see. Because therefore, we can see, maybe my happiness shouldn't go in this direction. Maybe my sense of well-being shouldn't be over here. Maybe it should be over here or in, inside of me, because I can fall for that trick there. And that's, that's pretty kind to see. Um, so all dhammas are preceded by the mind they are governed by the mind and formed by the mind if one speaks or acts with an impure mind suffering follows therefrom has anybody had that experience if did you speak or act with an impure mind and then you're like oh shit now i'm suffering you know like sometimes you got to check in with yourself i know uh the buddha gave us these reflections before speaking uh think is this true useful timely or kind is this true useful timely and kind before speaking because then when you speak in those ways uh, you tend to suffer less and i think i went over that enough Um, just as the the wheel of the cart follows the ox that pulls it and this is where we were talking about earlier about neural pathways just like how i i I like to uh, describe neural pathways as a dirt road and when a car drives down a dirt road, it carves in the road. And it's really cool that this is the analogy that was used 2,600 years ago of the wheel and the ox cart. So the, the wheel and the ox cart are carving into this road. And so therefore, now we're carving into this road the mind 
that's preceded by either suffering or not suffering. So this is the forerunner. The, the thoughts. The thoughts of kindness and compassion are the forerunner to the actions. Just as the, the cart and the ox. Um, so when we... And talk about these verses, they are taken from the polyphandons, and, and a lot of these have fun stories connected to it. And this, this was given as a lesson to monks when they're talking about uh, Chekupala. Chekupala is uh, somebody that existed in the time of the Buddha. He was a monk, and he is one who guards the eyes. So Chekupala, he got this name, one who guards the eyes. He committed to this practice for three months of not lying down. Uh, he couldn't lie down to sleep. His room didn't have a bed. So he was like, I'm going to stand up for three months. And so when he was starting to stand up for three months, um, his eyes started to go out. So he went to a doctor and said, my eyes are going out. Uh, what can you do for this? And the, the, the doctor gave Chekupala some eye drops. And uh, he says, you, you know you're going to have to lie down to take these eye drops. And Chekupala's like, yeah, 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 whatever. And the doctor kind of was like, I really don't think he's going to lie down. So the doctor followed Chekupala to see if he was going to take these eye drops. And he went to Chekupala's room, and there was no bed. And he was like, hey, man, you, you taking your eye drops? You're going to go blind if you don't take these eye drops. And uh, he was like, I'm committed to this. I'm not going to lie down. This is part of my practice. And then the doctor's like, well, if anybody asks, I'm not your doctor. And uh, they went on, and, and Chekupala just was like committed to his practice, and he eventually went blind. But in the moment of going physically blind, he, he developed a, a, a spiritual clear seeing. He developed the Dharma eye, fully awakened. At the moment of eyes going out, he, he became a fully enlightened Arhat, fully awake. And he started to get known in his Sangha as uh, an arhat, fully enlightened person. And so the young monks looked up to Chekupala, that he committed to this practice, and he was willing to do whatever he could do to develop his mind in this way, even if uh, something happens like him going blind. Because he knew the body is unreliable, but this, this, this deep awakening is much more important. And so uh, Chekupala was doing some walking meditation one day. And it had just rained. And so there was bugs on the ground as it was raining. And he didn't see the bugs. He, he was blind. And so he was walking in walking meditation and stomping on these bugs and not knowing it at all and just stomping on the bugs. And uh, the young monks were offended. They said, oh, how is this fully enlightened person killing things? How is that possible? Like, he's supposed to be a fully enlightened arhat, so they go to the Buddha, and um, the Buddha said to them that this, this verse, back to the verse, I'll read it again, all dhammas are preceded by the mind. They are governed by the mind, informed by the mind. If one speaks or acts with an impure mind, suffering follows therefrom, just as the wheel of a cart uh, follows the ox that pulls it. So it wasn't so much of... This, at this time, too, this was a different explanation of karma. So at the time, they thought karma was if you do good deeds, you'll have good deeds happen to you. So if you kill, whether you knew, knew you killed or didn't, 
you would still have this metaphysical karma happen. But the Buddha gave this shift on what karma is. Life has harm in it. Life has death in it. It's what the intention behind it is what's important. So if you're purposely killing somebody, your intention probably is pretty terrible. But if you're just going through life, and if you're, you're physically blind, you don't know what you're stepping on. I know, I know as the way we are, just today, just, I'm sure we step on bugs. I'm sure it happens. But it's, it's our mind that is what is important. So this isn't to say to throw out the ethics. If you're purposeful in your speech, if you're purposeful in your harm, then therefore um, you're going to have some unpleasant outcomes, some harmful outcomes. But if you keep a pure mind and, and commit to certain actions, there, there may be physical blindness. There may be physical death. That's besides the point. We want to develop the mind. Um, I love Deepa Ma, and um, I talk about Deepa Ma a lot. She was a householder, as they call her, um, and she was, she died about in the 80s, I think it was, and, and she, she uh, a very developed uh, person, just living an everyday life that became fully enlightened just by waking up every morning and sitting for four hours and, and sitting every time she had a chance. And, and before she went to bed, she would sit for another four hours and just had this really committed Dharma life. And, and she, she said, uh, somebody asked her, said, hey, can you, can you eat meat and still be a Buddhist? And her response was, well, if you can eat meat with a mind full of loving kindness, then you can eat meat. I have a hard time doing anything with a mind of loving kindness, so I don't eat meat. So just a suggestion. Um, and uh, I don't know if I agree with her on that one, but whatever. You know, that's, that's the intention of things. So it, it comes down to what's your intention. Um, I think I, I, I hopefully uh, uh, express that to you. Hopefully you get this. Um, I'm curious if anybody has any comments or questions. We have, yeah, like ten minutes. So, thank you. Mm-hmm.